there is so much out there to get mad about. Social injustices, class warfare, continued colonization, the act of destruction of our planet by those focused on profits and not people. We can find it overwhelming at times. The good news is there are equally as many, if not more, stories of people coming together and rising up against the forces at play. So the creators of Blueprints of Disruption have added a new weekly segment, Ravel Rants, where we will unpack the stories that have us most riled up, share calls to action, and most importantly, celebrate resistance. It's not a complex issue. That's the big thing. It's super simple. There's one group that has enormous power. It's the most powerful country in the Middle East. It's backed by the United States. It acts on another population of people with total impunity and is never held accountable for anything. So there's no symmetry in the relationship, period. And just as like a thought experiment, IDW people, if we know that if somehow a population of Jewish refugees ended up in West Bank in Gaza and an Arabic government in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv had an open air prison in, in what, you know, Jewish Gaza, which they bombed with white phosphorus, they killed civilians indiscriminately and they had no uh, provisions for medicine they had an embargo that blocked food, that the electricity wasn't running, that there was an over 48% unemployment rate, life expectancy and malnutrition statistics were horrifying. The, uh, one of the major uh, policymakers in this hypothetical Arabic-Palestinian state said, we need to put those Jews on a diet. In the West Bank, there was another Jewish area where there was a little bit more autonomy, but there was regular Arabic settlements where they pulled up the Jewish farmers' foods, they terrorized them with rocks, the security forces broke children's bones, and they couldn't drive their own roads. We'd all have no problem understanding what that was. So there's nothing complex about it. The second part of your question, it's, it's a pure asymmetry relationship. And the question is rights or not. So that's it. It's not complicated. That clip that we just listened to is from the late Michael Brooks, where he is describing the asymmetrical relationship between Israel-Palestine, specifically the continued oppression of the Palestinian population, the apartheid relationship with the state of Israel. I'm sure by now everybody has heard at least a little bit about the events that have been unfolding in Israel-Palestine over the last few days and there has been a lot of narratives to come out of that, a lot of narratives from, from those in power in Western nations, and in particular, there has been a repression of Palestinian voices and the experiences of the Palestinian people as these events have unfolded. I think it's important to add some context around what we're going to talk about and the clip that just happened. In there, he mentions hypothetical leaders and the attitudes that they espouse. Those aren't hypothetical leaders. They're absolutely real. And they're openly calling for the complete destruction of Gaza. For those who don't know, Gaza is a densely populated area. Two million people. 50% of those people are children. And there is no real way for them to leave. There are reports, on top of the bombings that we have all seen, there are now reports that the Israeli government is raining down white phosphorus 
on the civilians of not only Palestine, but of Lebanon. That is a war crime. That is a restricted use weapon. And while the Israeli government is doing this, the Canadian government has hoisted a giant Israeli flag atop of the Peace Tower in Ottawa, lit it up blue. There's demands to have the CN Tower go blue and the falls go blue and white in a sign of solidarity for the civilians murdered in Israel at the hands of Hamas. There is no suggestion of marking the large loss of life of Palestinians that has already happened and which is promised in the future. And I am absolutely blown away. Like on this show, I have vented so many times against leftist politicians for so many valid reasons. And still, I was shook watching the tweets and statements roll in from so-called progressives. Friends, it's like a complete disconnect has happened and it's been devastating. My thoughts are completely with my comrades most affected by this, especially my Palestinian friends. I can't imagine the weight that they're carrying right now, especially considering some of the narratives that are surrounding what has happened. The most important thing to draw out of that clip, though, is the power imbalance Right. Like that is so important when you're talking about this both sides argument or statement that often comes out. We think it's absolutely atrocious when it happens in terms of like neo-Nazis going against Antifa. Right. Like, well, there's bad people on both sides. Like we completely reject that argument because of what of the ideologies that exist underneath it and the power the power imbalance that exists between Israel, who completely control what happens within Gaza, and the people within Gaza itself. And it's like everyone has completely forgotten that. Like they have taken this act of horrible violence that happened in Israel. Like no one is going to deny what we are reading about is atrocious. But they're using that to completely erase all context of the occupation behind it. As though this was unprovoked. And, and I've seen that word used, unprovoked. <laughs> As if the last 75 or so years have just not happened. As if there hasn't been a continued oppression of Palestinians for generations. Unprovoked. As if there haven't been numerous attempts in recent history at protesting the conditions peacefully that have been met with absolute oppression. As if the daily reality, as if the IDF themselves, as if members of the IDF themselves have not gone on record numerous times about their instructions being to break the population of Gaza, to psychologically break them, to control every single aspect of their life, because that is the conditions that Gaza is living under. Let's talk about that for a second. Israel controls every single thing that goes in and out. They control whether or not food goes in. They control water, of which there is none, where 95% of the water in Gaza is not drinkable. They control all of the markets. They control everything. It's an absolute oppression. Nothing goes in and out, but it's unprovoked. Gaza, as 
as Jessa mentioned earlier, is over 50% children. Why do we think that is? The median age in Gaza is 18 years old. Why? Because the life expectancy in Gaza is so low. People are either killed or they starve to death. But it's unprovoked. When Gaza has been bombed on and off for decades, but it's unprovoked. It's a ridiculous notion. It is, and I, I don't want anyone to get the idea that this is us justifying or condoning what we've seen. Absolutely not. But we're not those people. We have not lived in those conditions. We do not know what we would do. Most of us are settlers, and this probably makes us very uncomfortable to see violent decolonization happen in front of us. Uh, I want to read a little bit from a tweet from Joy Henderson. She is Black Lakota educator and an amazing activist. And I just think what she said helps explain. But after I say that, I also want to go back. This is more for you to remind me, Santiago, that although you can explain what happens when you put somebody in an open air prison indefinitely, generationally, and tighten the grip, right? Because this is a government who has, sorry, this is a population who has also just elected an even more far right government, one that is hell-bent on shrinking Gaza and destroying Palestinians, it's becoming increasingly worse. So we can understand how it escalates to that kind of level of violence. So Joy said, if me and my kids were trapped in an open-air prison where food, electricity, water, freedom was based on the whims of a state who thought I was an animal, I'm pretty sure I'd be violent as hell. Most parents would. My ancestors, both black and indigenous, fought back against violent colonialism. They killed, they burned, they stole, and I don't know what else, but I absolutely won't condemn them. Because when you attempt to eliminate people or keep them enslaved with no means or hope of escape, they're not going to be nice about fighting back. My ancestors knew their revolts and rebellions meant torture and death, but they had nothing left to lose. And what I think she means, and Joy, I apologize if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, but you know, when you create these such harsh conditions, you have then let go of the reins. You cannot control what human people will do to survive. You can put a wall up, you can write all these rules, you can try to excuse it, you can try to justify it, you can try to greenwash it, but eventually not to dehumanize anybody, but we all are animals in a sense, in the sense that we will react to survive, to protect ourselves. And it's not like this was the first thing Palestinians or Hamas have tried. A lot of people are talking about, you know, of course, you know, condemning the violence on both sides and respecting life on both sides and all of these really obvious statements and saying we should work towards peaceful solutions as though for 75 fucking years people haven't been trying to use peaceful solutions you know in 2008 we'll go we'll go more recent 
right? Just, just <laughs> you could go back all 75 years and have a multitude of examples of what happens when Palestinians do resist in any form, right? But in 2018, 2019, you had the March of Return where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians marched for days and days, weeks, and they were murdered over and over again. Over 220 Palestinian civilians were gunned down, mostly by Israeli snipers shooting to kill. Over 9,000 were wounded. Many journalists, clearly marked, were completely taken down. Just last year, uh, Israel killed a Palestinian journalist and bombed intentionally, and we know it's intentionally because they told them it was intentional. They bombed Al Jazeera's building in in Gaza, and they intentionally targeted a well-known Palestinian journalist. And lied about it. And lied about it. And, and they were found— I think that's important— <laughs> And and then they, and after they lied about it, they they were caught in their lies, and it's not a question anymore. We know that they murdered this journalist. This has been a common action. There has been no symmetry whatsoever. If you look at, and God, I hate what's the the Che Guevara quote? You know the. The life of a single human being is worth a million times more than all the property of the richest man on earth. Absolutely. And so I don't, I don't compare things to weigh life because life cannot be measured in numbers. But it is worth pointing out the absolute unsymmetry in terms of Palestinians killed versus Israelis killed. Because it's not even, it's, it's not even close. It's not even remotely close. There has been an absolute asymmetry. And the crimes against Palestinians have been consistent for years. And now, just now, the defense minister of Israel said, and I quote, I have ordered a complete siege on the Gaza Strip. There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals. Yeah, that's... The huge step is dehumanizing a population so that the rest of the world can be okay with what you're about to do next. And frankly, they've done it so many times, I think the world is okay with the fucking bombing of Gaza. How many times have we seen those images, even though reporters are saying that this is the worst that they've ever seen? And it likely is, considering the promises that the Israeli state has given. But I want to go back a bit to the alternatives that Palestinians have tried to use and which have also been demonized and thwarted. And, and it's why we get to the place that we're at. When you leave, we've talked about this many, many times on the show before, not in such violent context, but when you rob people of a voice or a method to use the mechanisms you want them to use, right? You want them to use peaceful means, you want them to use the UN courts, peaceful protests, they will fucking shoot you down. They will put you out of that room. There's no seat at the table for Palestinians. Boycott, divest, and sanction the BDS movement. Justin Trudeau condemned anyone who would take part in a boycott of Israel. So they have purposely shut down every fucking peaceful route that is available to Palestinians, and then they stand back, murder them at will, and then wonder why they bit back. Every fucking politician out there, save for Sarah Jama, 
is completely condemning Palestinian people to death. You don't know. They don't know, or maybe they do, the damage that is happening by silencing folks right now, by saying that being pro-Palestine means being pro-Hamas, that being pro-Palestine means being for the murder and rape of civilians. They don't understand how dangerous that is for Palestinians to, to start taking away the voice of the diaspora while their families are being bombed. You are leaving them no room to do anything. And these are the conditions that created this in the first place. You know, Canada and, and the world are talking about withdrawing all aid from Palestine, which is just a giant, most of it, it's a, it's a giant refugee camp. It really fucking is. And 18 of the UN relief buildings have been destroyed by these bombings. So the conditions that we knew of, that we described, that power imbalance, that was even before these bombings. When we say it's an apartheid state, this has been confirmed by Amnesty International. This is absolute oppression. And some even go as far as to say that it's... Uh, I mean, it, it, uh, to be completely honest, apartheid arguably is not enough. What it is is, is a genocide. It you is can a say gen- that, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it is a genocide. There should be no hesitation there. I, I remember, I think it was Noam Chomsky who said that that, uh, that in, in Gaza the conditions are, are far worse than apartheid. Meanwhile, we see these narratives and of condemnation of, of Hamas as if, it's, as if Hamas is Palestine. Hamas is not Palestine. As we mentioned, over 50% of the population... And I I cannot emphasize this point enough. Over 50% of the open-air prison that is Gaza is children. Something like 44% of them are 14 and under. And it's being bombed indiscriminately. Buildings are collapsing. Apartment buildings where people live are, are being shown. Whole neighborhoods are being flattened. White phosphorus, chemical warfare. And again, it's worth mentioning, this collective punishment is is against international law. I mean, how much of this is against international law? Like the apartheid system is against international law. The whole, uh, the, the settler colonialism is against international law. The colonialism of the West Bank is against international law. The killings of innocent Palestinians for generations has been condemned as against international law. There are consistent war crimes. Killing of journalists is against international law. The halting aid, preventing aid from being reached, Israel just said that they would bomb the, the, these Egyptian trucks that are carrying aid en route to Gaza. They said they would bomb it if it attempts to enter Gaza. That is against international law. It's important to note that those trucks would be taking the same routes that they've just asked Gaza residents to use in order to evacuate their homes. And I want to ask people, do you think Israel will let those people return? Have you seen what has happened to Palestinian people that have been pushed out of their homes and off of their land? They don't have the right to return. And I have no reason to believe this particular Israeli government would let any of them return either. And you talk about genocide, you got Nikki Haley, former U.S. U.N. ambassador, and she gets on Twitter and her quote is, finish them, Netanyahu. Now, people want to tell me that she's talking about Hamas. Okay, 
you don't think she's talking about all people, all Palestinian people, all people of Gaza? Fine. You think it's okay to just kill everyone that Israel has on their list of who is Hamas? The same IDF who lie consistently about what we can see to be true on video, what we can see to be true coming from the UN and all the observers that have fucking been in there and from people's lived experience. The same fucking IDF that the BBC is quoting without verifying anything. This is open calls for genocide or at the very least massive extrajudicial killings. And we shouldn't be surprised because the U.S. does this all the time. So this and at the, the, what makes this most disgusting, though, Santiago, is in the face of this, in the face of this brutal collective retribution, like this fuck you, we're going to kill you because people operate within your realm that have done some bad things. And at that same time, you're looking at those victims now and demanding that they condone Hamas while not saying a thing about how many Palestinian civilians are being killed. And that is the biggest part for me. It's not it's not justifying the violence. It's not definitely not cheering on violence. It's challenging the imbalance that exists here, too, when you're trying to talk about these issues. And the same fucking thing happens with Ukraine. Ukraine... It, is experiencing an illegal occupation. And so, by international law, they are allowed to resist with weapons, with arms. We know this to be true because we are arming them and we are putting their fl- our, their flags in our bio. We are cheering them on. We are not allowed to question their death squads. We are not allowed to question the fact that they have Nazis in their rank. We are not allowed to question anything Zelensky has done in the past or any way how the Ukrainian government has treated the people in the places that Russia is now occupying. We're not allowed to suggest a peace accord, right? That would have you ridiculed and labeled a Putin stan, right? It's it's the fact that Ukraine would have to cede land is just abhorrent to suggest. But at the same time, you have no recourse for Palestinian people that you know have not just had their land stolen during the Nakba, but it has shrank over time has been clawed back from them over the 75 years to the point where it's like this open air prison that we describe. And still you don't think that they have the right to respond violently still, even though you celebrate the French resistance in World War II that killed Nazis underground that utilized guerrilla tactics and those leftists out there that celebrate Che Guevara I know you read the quote about one value of of human life, but when you put people in a position where they don't have sophisticated arms, they don't have the ability to engage military targets as easily as the U.S. does, and they don't even limit it to military targets, even though they have fucking drones with accurate laser-guided missiles. You know, you're talking about people who have to make do in the conditions that we just described and still fight for resistance because they have the fucking right to do that. And I'm not afraid to fucking say it. It's true. It's under international law. They're allowed to fight back. And as settlers, I don't think it's up for us to decide how they do it. And how often have we seen, you know, Hamas launch rockets from Gaza into Israel that don't make a dent? through the Iron Dome, only for 
Gaza to be bombed 10 times over in response. How many times have we seen that? Gaza doesn't have bunkers. Gaza doesn't have an iron dome. Gaza is an open-air prison. And we've seen this over and over again. I don't, I don't have answers to, to give anybody because I don't... As long as the Western world is unilaterally supporting, arming, funding Israel, so endo- actively endorsing the continued colonization and oppression of Palestinians... I have no idea how one can solve this because that is what's happening. We are essentially signing off on this. When you look at the original uh, agreement in the United Nations of of the division of land, it resembles nothing. What is nothing even close to what is the distribution of land today? Not even close. Almost like broken treaties. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not even close. So, like, what the hell is anybody supposed to do? Like, what are the... It, it, nobody comes to help them. Nobody is helping them. They're only ally. It's just such an absolute form of oppression. And then, meanwhile, the conversations and narrative we have here, we're not allowed to question it. I mean, how often do you see... How often do you see, and Jess is as familiar with this as anybody else, whenever anybody speaks in defense of Palestinians, they get smeared as an anti-Semite. What the hell kind of motivation would we have to be anti-Semitic, really? I mean, let's, we, are, we stand consistently in defense of all oppressed people. Why is Palestine the exception? Why is it when we talk about Palestine, there is such a visceral reaction that you get nowhere else? When we know the international laws, we've seen it. There have been countless reports as to the lived conditions, but yet it's anti-Semitic to speak against the continued oppression. It's a continued conflation between, one, the state of Israel and Judaism, which are not the same thing. Also a conflation between And it's anti-Semitic to say that they are. And it is. And a a conflation between uh, uh, Muslims and... Palestine, which is also not true because Palestine is not just... Or Palestine and Hamas. Yeah. And Palestine is not just Muslim. Palestine is also Christian. There's also uh, many Muslims living in Israel. What we're talking about here is the oppression and colonization of a peoples. This, uh, this smear, it's what brought down Jeremy Corbyn's campaign. They tried to smear Bernie Sanders with it back in the day, which didn't really stick because he's Jewish. They tried to smear Noam Chomsky for the same reason. Once again, didn't work because he's Jewish. We don't have such defenses. But does any... It, it, it's just... It's so comical. And, and, and I had to address this because we know as we record this, we know what to expect. We know what to expect as a response to speaking out on this. We know what is going to happen because it happens every single time. Why are we not allowed to speak in defense of an oppressed peoples is beyond me. I think it has to do with the timing. So I kind of want to talk about that. I think people took offense to how quickly me personally, you know, and anybody else was willing to say free Palestine or the like so quickly after what was happened. How dare you, right? Any showing of support, of Palestine in this moment inherently means you support what they've done. You support what Hamas is doing. And 
that's a false correlation. That's an absolute false correlation. The reason why I wanted to assert my support for Palestinian people immediately, and as did thousands of people across the world, tens of thousands of rallies, or tons of rallies across the world in support of the people of Palestine that were vilified. We'll get into that into a second. But the reason it needed to happen right away is because we fucking knew. We fucking knew as soon as the details started to come in that the silencing of Palestinian advocacy would ramp up. Because, I mean, just last week, our episode was called Courage Needed Advocating for Palestine. And that's never been more true. It was already an uncomfortable thing to do. Why? Because like Santiago said, every time you're labeled an anti-Semite, like every fucking time, I, as uh, the president of a small chapter of Amnesty International, tried to defend a, a mural that had been chosen by students to go up, and it depicted a Palestinian holding a rock behind their back and a tank in the foreground. And that was too violent. That was anti-Semitic to even depict Palestinian resistance with a fucking rock against a tank. A rock. It's a young protester like you've seen them, like we've described the ages of the people that are in Gaza. Fucking children fighting for their future because they've just seen what's unfolded and there's no hope. And even depicting a modicum of resistance from these people was enough to get articles written in the paper to dox me to call me an anti-Semite for simply saying that that painting has a right to exist and it is not anti-Semitic to simply say a free Palestine or to say that they deserve it or that they could even fight for it. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what I've done. I just marshaled one time (laughs) that I got called seven months pregnant. I'm seven months pregnant and I got called to marshal an event and I went because it was for students at York and they likely didn't know how to safely marshal such a heated event. And I had done a lot of that work. And so some comrades called and we got, they had a bunch of volunteers. I had no role. I just showed up, put the vest on, got my instructions. And it was hell. The protest simply wanted to remove IDF personnel from York university because they were holding events there. And that's that's it. That was the demands. And the resistance they faced was incredible from campus, mostly from off campus. Absolute, absolute hatred being spewed at us the whole time. The things I heard them say to the Palestinian comrades. So you have to imagine I am facing the opponents. I am trying to protect the students. which was not a good idea, being pregnant. But I I think I underestimated how heated this would get. And I was being shoved. So, like, I'm shoved over and over and over again so that they could get closer to Palestinian students, like, you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and scream racist bullshit in their face, calling them the most horrible names imaginable. And I moved with this crowd everywhere they went, right? tried to get access to the speakers. It was, you know, trying to maneuver around security. It was fluid. So I was everywhere. I never heard anything anti-Semitic at all. And the newspaper articles that got written about that rally just fucking lied. 
The chance that they said that they said never happened. Not one video showed up, but multiple videos showed up of the violence that was inflicted on the Palestinian protesters over and over again, and nothing that was never mentioned. Even fucking Jagmeet Singh comes out and condemns the fucking anti-Semitism that occurred, and he wasn't there. And they only took the word of one side and never, ever interviewed us. And Sue Ann Levy, she calls me an anti-Semite. Like, I was just a marshal. Someone recognized me because I think I'd already run for the NDP. And so, again, my name, my fucking phone number everywhere. Again, I'm getting calls at like 8 o'clock in the morning telling me they hope my kids die. My kid who is half Jewish. (laughs) And I'd hang up as much as possible. But, like, I told one, one woman that called, like, you have no idea the terror you're visiting upon me. And this is all I did. I am seven months pregnant, and I marshaled a protest. None of what you described happened. And they did not fucking care. It was pure vitriol. And that's me. I'm not even Palestinian. So my thoughts always go to, like, how are they breathing right now? How are my Palestinian comrades even functioning, considering what they were already up against and now this? So, like, that's why it was so important for me to put that flag up immediately. And I never fly flags. (laughs) Mm. I hate flags. I hate nationalism. But we talk there is a certain nuance when it comes to indigenous nations that are fighting for fucking survival and asserting their nationhood. And it was important to fly that flag then because it's never been more important to say free Palestine. Because if we don't now, we won't be allowed to later. The UK Home Secretary has just suggested that they are going to make it illegal to fly the Palestinian flag and they are going to ban certain chants. Certain Arab chants is how they described it. And so... It was more important because I understand the imbalance that occurs in the media and the narratives that happen. I think I underestimated it because Olivia Chow's tweet was just fucking next level. But then it became so painfully obvious that if there was any voices left on the left that had the courage to speak up, we had to scream. And we do. Right? People need to be unrelenting. You cannot be afraid to be uncomfortable right now. I don't care what your settler friends are saying. I the fucking correlations that people are drawing to, it's thrown at me so you'd be okay if indigenous people here killed all of us and took their land back. Like, what do you think? People are fucking savages? That's the narrative you're fucking playing into. Don't create the conditions in which Palestine is living under. Why? Are you planning on putting, are you planning on making it even worse for indigenous people? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't push people to the brink like that because you don't know what's going to happen. Well, we do. Well, we do. I mean, it's that really said so much, that rant. It's so one-sided. And when we look at, you know, when we talk about like this this media narrative, it's so absolute, you know. CTV, um, Montreal and BBC both ran headlines where they were talking about the the casualties on both sides and when it's Israelis they said killed with Palestinians dead. That was the headline. How did they right? die? How did they die? Just happened to and, and you see these headlines all the time when it comes to Palestine. You see the bias and it's so it's so painfully obvious. For for a, a media I mean I am in journalism school and you know they talk the big game about objectivity and impartiality. But you see how that gets thrown out the window with certain topics. 
because there has been no part uh, there's been no symmetry whatsoever they will publish a one-sided story quoting only IDF not ever asking the other side as they say that you're supposed to do in journalism they just run with it and go take a look at like some of the stuff that's been written like I, I mean I read an op-ed in in an Australian newspaper actively calling for genocide when with the words genocide they're like you know sometimes genocide's necessary was what the article was saying what a fucking moment to be alive because we had Nazi apologists talking about nuance you know not that long ago and it's like we're completely rewriting history and everyone around us has just absolved Israel of their wrongdoing. It's like those Israeli civilian deaths have given a green light to exterminate Palestinians. And and this has happened before. This is how it happens. After 9-11, we soaked up all that vitriol and we allowed Afghanistan and Iraq to be destroyed under the name of terror. And we continue to allow massive amounts of civilian deaths at the hands of our so-called allies in the name of the war on terror. What is terrorism if it isn't imprisoning people indefinitely and exiling millions of people and telling them they can't return ever? These these words they they carry power and meaning and they're being used without any caution whatsoever and, and when i say caution i mean look at the way as we were just mentioning with with the freaking nazi that we applauded in the parliament and looking at at everything to do with ukraine and russia the infinite amount of people calling for all the nuance in the world. Oh, yeah, but you have to consider this. You have to consider that. But when it comes... To, and, and that's how... It shows you how we act when towards allies versus those people we deem enemies. Because when it's someone that we deem an ally, there's always infinite nuance to be looked at. And, and, and to be fair, that nuance is bullshit. There's no nuance take on, on uh, Nazis... Uh, in in World War Two in Ukraine, we we know all the history there. It is absolute revisionism. We know what the history was there. There is no nuance to be had. And if we do have the nuance, we're going to come up to the same conclusion. Is what I'm trying to say. Meanwhile, there's absolutely no critical thinking whatsoever occurring when it comes to defense of Palestinians. And and one thing is like the the word, use of the word terrorist which is such a loaded term, is being used without any question across Western media, right? Oh, and that's and, their favorite word. Yeah, and we look at like, okay, how, how, do you, how do you define it? Well, we know that certain countries, Canada as one of them, has designated Hamas a terrorist organization. And so the, everybody runs with the word terrorist. And terrorist has such a... A reaction in, 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 in Western minds. Meanwhile, and, and I'm not, for the record, I'm, I'm not here defending Hamas, but I am saying of the, the quickness they are to use th these words and these terminology. While in apartheid South Africa, they called Nelson Mandela a terrorist as well. Everybody who is an enemy, we quickly use the term terrorists for and then and then that's used 
to justify actions against Palestinians who have no connection whatsoever to Hamas. Because all of these children who are currently being killed by these bombs in Gaza, what connection do they have to Hamas? The one thing about the terrorism label that is important here is it strictly legitimizes state violence. State violence is never considered terrorism. Of course, we will call the U.S. Army terrorists. We know what they've done. And perhaps other people, you know, could apply that label. But in reality, it's not. It's not something the media uses to describe. We surely don't call our allies terrorists, even when they commit the same exact actions that we have seen militias carry out, insurgency groups, however you want to describe them, rather than calling them a terrorist group. Because every time we hear these stories, including coups that occur, history is erased from the story. The context, context of, under which it ha- occurred, the colonialism, the imperialism, it's all erased. Or the level of violence is diminished. State violence doesn't have to be white phosphorus or bombs of residential areas. Violence is also the starvation of civilian populations, the denial of electricity, employment, mobility rights. That, it's violent to completely remove people's human rights and dignity. It is. It's far more painful to die of starvation than it is to be taken out by an Israeli sniper. But they do both, continually. And I don't know if people are just too tired or desensitized or what, but the same people who never say boo about Palestine. I had one person come at me demanding I condone the the murder of Israeli citizens. And even though I said I do not celebrate them, they labeled me a terrorist supporter, knowing me. Right. Like they they have labeled me a dear, dear comrade of mine has said that that means I must support the killing of women and children, that the sharing simply of the map of Gaza, the shrinking map of Gaza, simply sharing that is to condone violence against civilians. And those leaps are absolutely made to silence us. Some folks might not do it on purpose, but they're swallowing narratives that they're hearing around them, and those are to silence resistance of any kind. <laughs> of any kind. Believe me, the Canadian government is sending a message to Indigenous people right now by putting that Israeli flag up there. Because they don't condone it, because that's what they would fucking do. And that's what they use, right? They use violence from the RCMP. We have used colonial violence for eons. We will forcibly remove you with the OPP, even if you're on Mohawk territory. This is how we would respond as well. So it's no no wonder we find kindred spirits in the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. And, th- and th- that reminds me of one thing I mentioned to Jessa earlier is when it comes to being labeled as, as anti-Semitic is how ridiculous would it be if every time that we criticize Canada's oppression, colonization, and genocide against the indigenous people here, if we were labeled as racist against white people, right? Everybody would, well, not everybody, but it would be very blatant how ridiculous such a claim would be. 
but we're not faced with the same that that doesn't happen though that doesn't and we speak constantly on yes it does but you know people yeah. laugh at that well i never I'll people don't this, laugh at the anti-semite they, that <laughs> yeah. sticks right i i feel like i can't even talk about anti-semitism that does fucking exist i know it exists right we see it but that label has been thrown at me so many times simply for my advocacy of Palestine and nothing I have actually ever said that was anti-Semitic. And so I feel like I can't even wade into that conversation. I can't even fight against anti-Semitism because I'm likely not welcome. And it's it's loaded to me now because it visits me every time I open my mouth on Palestine. And it's, it's such an ironic claim too because we're i mean we're socialists here and where is anti-semitism and more common than anywhere else is in the, the far right circles it, it, everything in the far right eventually comes back to anti-semitism it's, it's funny like uh to be fair there are very racist socialists out there misogynistic socialists so not everybody I, kind of fully oh, embraces I, absolutely I, it's just more of a statement of how common anti-semitism is in right-wing circles it's funny because whenever you see uh, uh like i remember andrew calligan uh when uh, when i would watch his videos and he would go to like flat earth conventions and things like this and all these different uh, things and everything always comes back to anti-Semitism. All of their conspiracy theories, everything comes back to anti-Semitism. It's so prevalent. And also it's worth mentioning that um, a lot of funding that goes to Israel comes from the Bible Belt in the United States where uh, extreme evangelicals believe that if the if Jewish people take full control over the land uh, of Israel, that it will bring upon revelation, the apocalypse, and that, um, you know, uh, the, and then that the Israeli people, because they don't believe in Jesus or something, will will not be allowed into heaven, but all of the good uh, Christians will be allowed into like, heaven. It, 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 they is would a probably huge, they, they yeah. die in the apocalypse, according to them. It, it, so they won't huge, be there. But that It'll they be have to, again. Yeah, <laughs> but that they have to take the land to do that. And that's a big thing. There's a lot of funding that comes from that. Nobody ever talks about that. It's absolutely ridiculous. But that's a huge thing. Like, please. I like, did not want to know that. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's absurd. And, 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 and that's the thing is that, like, whenever these issues that, like, bring up such guttural emotional reactions in people, it's like all critical thinking goes out the window. Please. Or, like... We're doing like before coming into this studio to record this episode, like I, I I was thinking so much about like I was measuring angles and doing all the research I could and like taking this very seriously because we take this very seriously. We're not just speaking here out of out of out of emotional reactions with no no thought. I mean, this is an issue that I have been informing myself on for years and I've been listening to others first before ever speaking on this issue i have been listening for years i have not spoken openly on this issue i have i've tweeted about it but i have never spoken on a on a podcast about this issue before right we're not reacting here out of just this is not reactionary knee-jerk shit this is we're thinking about things and and i say that because so much of the reactions thro- thrown at us, so much of the criticism that will then get thrown at us is, is, is clearly not listening to anything we're saying. It's not listening to the points that we make. 
that's a huge theme, just repeating the same lines back at us. That means you support this. That means you support this and not touching anything else. And the framing of this as a religious war is da- is so dangerous for so many reasons. But it also erases the fact that this is an armed resistance against an illegal occupation. That's the purpose of it, right? They are attacking Jews because they're Jews. No, they're attacking Israelis because they are part of an illegal occupation. Many settlers are active participants in this apartheid. They have weaponry. They are burning the olive trees. They are going in and knowingly inhabiting homes that used to belong to Palestinians, and they have the army right beside them to do it. This is not passive civilians, okay? These are not like settlers in Canada who've just bought a house and and then someone tells them it's part of like unceded treaty land. No, this is a big to do. It's a violent act that occurs and settlers move in. And there are politicians that absolutely should know better that are feeding into this very anti-Semitic angle that is attack on Jewish people and that Jewish people across the globe are now somehow in imminent danger from Palestinians, right? We're framing the flag as a symbol of hate. We've had Toronto police demand protesters take down their flag because of safety reasons. And a large part of this is due to Mayor Olivia Chow. She had by far, I think, of all Canadian politicians, the worst set of tweets imaginable. I don't have the screenshots, so I'm going to paraphrase because she's deleted the first two. I'm sure it's out there. So she releases one. It's awful. It, you know, condemns the violence, but then goes on to say she's working with Toronto police to ensure the Jewish community is safe. Does not mention, like already retribution is happening, does not mention Palestine at all or Palestinians. And that message implicitly denies that Palestinians are criminal in Canada. It's not a statement about Hamas, right? She doesn't think Hamas is here and going to attack Israeli targets. That has not been suggested. They do not have that intelligence. This is the mayor just acting on a set narrative that is absolutely disgusting. And she tries to follow it up with one of these both sides tweets two hours later, you know, attach it to that statement as an, oh, I acknowledge that losing life on both sides is bad, but still doesn't really acknowledge the occupation at all. She waits a few hours. She takes those down and she puts up just a hot mess of piece, a hot piece of garbage. Then she tweets out about an unsanctioned rally. You don't need a permit. There's no office. There's no application to get a permit for a rally like that in the city of Toronto. The mayor should fucking know that. She knows that. Jack Layton went to the Supreme Court. Kudos to Hassan of Migrant Rights Network for reminding us of all of that. But she says there's an unsanctioned rally that Toronto police will be dispatched and they will crack down on any any instances of hate. 
where the fuck was this kind of response when Nazis were flying their flags and all the convoy bullshit around or the people that are attacking trans people? I am not advocating for a police response to this, but the fact that when she does this, a progressive mayor, she gets up there where Palestinians were working on her fucking campaign and she has to say this, that sticks big time. And and this has been something that has come from politicians across the spectrum, NDP, liberal, conservatives, all over Canada, provincially, all over the place. We've seen the same kind of message. And then the media has also done a horrible job covering this. So so for the average Canadian who, who does not know, who is not informed on the nuance of Israel-Palestine, it's, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming, like, the picture painting of Palestine as the, 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 the sole aggressor here, as a sole aggressor, as as the one completely in the wrong, and Israel has the right to defend itself. You said it. You said the magic phrase. I was, I'm like, we got to get to that. Because that is not the right to defend themselves at all. They're not the defenders. What have you guys been watching? They it's, don't it's even actually, mean that. It's it's actually like complete opposite to what international law says in this situation, which is like, no, you're not you're actually not allowed to carry out collective punishment, which is what is happening. Okay, wait. I don't want to sound like Mike Gibbs, but I wrote a paper on that. And international law fucking sucks. I'll tell you why. I'm chewing a Skittle, I apologize. I needed moisture. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> so awkward. I know where I'm at. What international law allows for and what allows the U.S. to act with such impunity all the time is preemptive measures. And there's really no criteria for a state to provide to prove that they were under imminent threat or danger. So arguably the war on terror was framed as preventing another terrorist attack. And because, like a self-defense law, a really bad one, like a stand-your-ground kind of law, you can shoot first if you think your state is under attack. And so the U.S. has applied this argument to justify their drone strikes for quite some time, and it has been, like I said, very effective. So, And while we mentioned those drone strikes, I need to mention 90% of which don't kill their intended target and only kill civilians, right? Just as we're talking about killing well, civilians. Well, apparently you're not yeah. a civilian. I saw people tweet that there is no Palestinian civilians because they all support Hamas. So d- people are taking the most dehumanizing angles in this. Which is also just ignorant to... I mean, first of all, West Bank has Fatah, which is just going out there, not Hamas. So, like, when you're saying Palestinians... West Bank is still Palestinians, you know, uh, but it's it's this, this this whole narrative has been absolutely absurd. And then, meanwhile, go over to Europe for a second. These same narratives, which are being said by the same politicians there, then led to an attempt for the European Union to uh, freeze aid to Palestine. Um, luckily, it was blocked by Ireland, Spain, Luxembourg, and Denmark. Shout out to the Irish uh, for consistently <laughs> being um, based. Uh, yeah, consistently being based. 
but th- there was an attempt. Like, these are not just words. There was an attempt to freeze aid. When we heard, uh, we already mentioned a statement by the Israeli defense minister to freeze all food, electricity, water, you know. So where does that, where does that leave people, you know? So they're asking to free, freeze aid because, because of, of an attack against civilians. But then Gaza, which is over 50% children, gets punished. Yeah, they're only going to exasperate the conditions what led to this. You know, you're creating desperate people with no room for hope. Like, and I think it's obviously poignant that Ireland played a role in that and is likely one of the only ones that is going to be seen on like the right side of history here because they absolutely know what it's like to stand on the world stage by themselves and demand independence. And they know what it's like to be vilified for using violence to gain that independence. But they did. You know, civilians did die. And that was devastating to those people's families. But I think as a settler, I don't know what a fight for liberation looks like no no idea and it probably it does it it terrifies me and it terrifies people to think of what it might look like especially if you're cognizant that you are on stolen land it creates a lot of unknowns what is the solution then what does that mean for me but in this time it's a time to be uncomfortable it's a time to kind of reflect on your position within that settler society and, and that's something I want, I want to speak on from a personal level for a, a moment. I, I, there is something I want to address there. As I speak on Israel-Palestine, I need to address my own background um, because it, it does play a role here uh, of which I, have, I still have to fully unpack. But um, I mentioned before, like, I am Colombian, but my, my dad is, is Lebanese. Um, he grew up during the, the war, the civil war, in Lebanon and he actually he wrote a book about it and everything but um and I've read the tales of that and I've gone and I've seen you know where my family lived in Lebanon I've seen the bullet holes I've seen the destruction because that destruction is still there to this day um one thing that's terrifying, like one thing to show the desensitization that happens. I have a relative who has an unexploded mortar as a decoration in in their backyard, which is just absurd. Maybe don't to think visit of. that cousin. Yeah, no, but um, and my family is um to to, to be clear, Maronite uh, Christian, who I I consider to be on uh, on the wrong side of history in that war, uh, the Phalanges who were inspired by uh, Spanish fascists. And so I, I say that because as I speak on, on these matters, I don't think of these in the, uh, uh, this issue as, as the abstract. It's very easy to talk about issues on the other side of the world and, and not really think about the real human costs here, like the real conditions. I've seen, I, when I was in Lebanon and I went in 2019, I, I drove from, from north to south, from Tripoli to the the Tire, I, I'd forget the the cities in the south, but I was in in Hezbollah controlled areas. I I went uh, close to the border of Syria. I heard uh, mortar fire and 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 machine guns fired in the air, and the mortar fire being fired from Lebanon into Syria. 
I've seen the destruction. So I, what, what I say this because, and I, and I also saw the, the Palestinian refugee camps in the south and the conditions that they're living in. I didn't venture in them myself personally, but I, I could see them as we were driving by. And so I'd not, I say this because I'm not thinking about this as in the abstract. I think of the real human costs and the real human issues here. And I'm conscious of how my own background plays into the way I could think about this. And I'm unpacking what that means. And, and I, I, I've heard stories, you know, of family members being blown up by, by car bombs. And I remember, you know, like my dad speaking of it when he was a kid, you know, wanting to grow up and, and fight uh, to protect Lebanon, for, uh, fight for the phalanges, which inspired my grandmother to grab him and get the hell out and go to Colombia because she didn't want to see her son grow up and, you know, be radicalized as an ultra right wing nationalist. It's it's difficult these topics it's difficult you know they're caught like finding a solution out of all of these things you know it's all just horrible it, it is horrible but i don't even know where i'm going with that fully but i i just I, I felt the need to say it as i speak on these issues because it's important to to acknowledge why we the things that influence us Right? I feel like a lot of people are not taking a second to think about what is influencing them. Why do we choose to believe the things we do? Are we just blindly following along to the first thing we heard, the first thing, the first piece of information we're exposed to and just go off of that? I don't know. It's it's far more complicated than that. And I'm I just needed to acknowledge that because I feel like that doesn't get acknowledged often. As a settler in particular, I never criticize the tactics used by indigenous resistance. Never. That goes for many movements that I don't have the lived experience to understand where they're coming from or the tactics that have already been tried or the vision for the future. I am not privy to all that information, so I don't. I do listen to lived experience. I do listen to my Palestinian comrades and absorb myself in this. And I have for so long, right? Like, I am a little bit older than Santiago. I remember South African apartheid. And as a child, I remember being taught exactly what was happening, why it was wrong, and why people needed to resist it. I am Scottish, and I was also raised to understand the resistance that went there against the English, where the Scottish only had rocks and rudimentary weapons to fend off the English from colonizing them, and the violence that was that was experienced there. So, like, I know it happens. It, it we know it happens. I don't. I take a lot of that at face value. I think that's what's missing from a lot of people is listening to real lived experiences. And as someone who soaks up so much empathy, although I don't know what it feels like to have to fight for my freedom, I believe the feelings that have been shared with me that I then feel like if you're not really empathetic, you might not know what that is. But I don't know how people don't. 
experience things that way. Like, I don't know how you... That's why I wonder how my Palestinian comrades are even functioning, just trying to think of what's happening to their family over there, watching the images that are coming across, running through the scenarios that they're going to have to face because this is unfolding the way that it is. And that is so overwhelming. Speaking on, on those images, one thing that really like stuck with me is the images of, of buildings in Gaza that are one second they're there standing and the next second they're rubble. Some of these images came directly from, I remember I saw one that was shared directly from Benjamin Netanyahu's Twitter account where um, he was... Bragging about it. Yeah, there was a video of, of a building in, in Gaza. And uh, someone, you know, I, 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 I was looking around in Toronto and I was looking at some of the buildings and I couldn't help but think like you know what that would mean here imagine like one of these buildings these residential buildings just being obliterated can you imagine and not just one building we're talking about hundreds of missile strikes at this point so like what you saw times many 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 more yeah imagine an entire neighborhood wiped out that would be a core part of Canadian history for generations to come. But it's become normalized in Gaza. I think a lot of people, you know, are desensitized to it. But, you know, the fact that Israeli leaders can, with such impunity, be bragging about this, calling for genocide declaring I am about to commit a war crime, I'm like, surely they must know we are seeing the white phosphorus being used and they don't give a shit. It goes back to that first clip where they have been able to do what they have done for 75 years, not just with impunity, but with explicit fucking support, financial, political, you name it. The globe has essentially lined up on the wrong side. And it's because the Western powers created this mess in the first place. They created conditions of anti-Semitism that were so bad that it allowed Hitler to do what he did. And it prevented Jewish people from going anywhere else because Canada turned them away, too. Right. Canada did not want Jewish refugees. And so the solution that they came up with was completely unacceptable and it was of their own making. And like normal, like all of the colonial bullshit that we do, we never want to be seen as the provocateur or we definitely don't want to be seen as the responsible party for fixing it. And so Western powers are just like, yeah, we'll just keep arming Israel to the teeth and hope this mess goes away. And by that, I think they mean that until Gaza is gone. And back to that whole right to defend itself, that irks me for so many reasons. To me, it's almost like saying all lives matter. Nobody is fucking arguing that Israel can defend itself. They have an iron dome. I don't know how many nations send them arms or incredible amounts of aid to purchase arms. They all have bunkers in their house. It is law that you have a bunker in your home. They are prepared to defend themselves. There's no need to carpet bomb Gaza to defend themselves. And there's nobody saying that they can't do that. Of course, every state has a right to defend themselves. 
they mean Israel has a right to annihilate their enemy. Because when you defend yourself, you don't just, you don't kill your attacker and their family, right? In no place would that be okay. Even if you had, it's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And they use that term, it's so couched, right? Like it sounds so innocuous to say, oh, well, they have the right to defend themselves. And everyone's like, yeah, of course, sure. But that is essentially code for Israel can do whatever the fuck they want now. You know, Palestinians fucked around and they're going to find out. Like that is the real attitude and not just bots. You know, like I'm engaging with real people that I know that think that this response is what you get. And... It's like this collective amnesia that I'm really struggling to cope with. But, like, the power imbalance is just missing from all of these discussions. And so I wanted to make sure that we spent time discussing the context, discussing discussing the conditions that exist that would help explain what is happening. But, you know, I fucking knew. I fucking knew the second... You heard, you know, that it would be such an uphill battle mm-hmm. that there would be an attempt to be made to just stop all Palestinian advocacy. And I imagine it has silenced a lot of people. Well, I've seen it change people. It's and it's we've seen the silence. I mean, I wish Olivia had been silent. <laughs> silence would have been better. Yeah, but, silence would have been better. But also, you know what? Like. God, I don't even want to lower the bar that low because. Olivia Chow has all the background knowledge to know better. You know, it's it's much like with uh, Christia Freeland and how we know that she should have known better when it comes to the Nazi that they welcomed and applauded in Parliament. A lot of these progressives are exposed to these arguments. I... And yet, the silence has been deafening. Over the past couple of days, it's been deafening. I haven't heard nearly enough. And you know why? You know, we were nervous coming into the studio. It is a hard topic to talk about and even harder now. And But we, it, it, one thing I told Jessa was, and sorry to interrupt, but it, it shouldn't be this hard to talk about this. If if a country can bomb children in that way, indiscriminately, with white phosphorus, which is chemical warfare, that is how can we not argue against that? How 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 can we be afraid to argue against that? This should not be a situation where we are afraid to speak because of the repercussions, because of the consequences. Like that 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 is so absurd to me. And and yet we are. Yet we are. Like I'm I get a nervous. It's not just fear though. It's exhaustion too. Cause I've gotten messages from some Palestinian comrades or Palestinian allies, or rather, allies of the Palestinian cause, who are just not in the place to withstand the barrage that will face them if they speak out right now, that they are too worried about family. They are already carrying a heavy load, you know, personally, fucking COVID. You know, life is hard already. 
And so to open yourself up, you know, is throwing self-care out the window for an extended period of time. Because I'll tell you, it has been exhausting. And every time that I cry about losing friends over this or I get stressed out about all of the hate that comes my way, it's awful, but the only solace I find is thinking of what other people are probably going through, of how much harder this is for Palestinians in Canada, how much even harder it is right now for Palestinians in Gaza. And then I stop feeling sorry for myself and I try to get back out there. But if you thought talk, Twitter was toxic before, or social media was toxic before, it's so awful right now. And I wasn't going to share this, but... Um, because the lasting message that I want to leave with people is you need to be very loud right now, even though it's going to hurt. And even though there's this pit in your stomach of horror of what we've witnessed, that those acts can't silence you. I called my dad over Thanksgiving and, well, he knew because of who I am and what I've done that I would be thinking of one thing only. So I'm, I'm trapped at a family cottage. I can't talk to anybody about this. So I finally get to talk to my dad. And the first thing that he says to me is, you know, be careful. He doesn't mean like out there violently. He means watch what you say. Not because he doesn't agree with what I'm going to say, because he just doesn't want to leave me open to what I might face. And I said this on the last episode, and it's true. It's every time I want to speak about Palestine, it runs through my head that I'll be attacked. You know, you have to kind of, you know, <laughs> the way that my mind works, I run through all the scenarios for everything all at once. So, But this is a process that goes through my brain every single time I'm going to tweet, even if I'm going to like something. Like, it's just like, a, here we go. Here we go. you got to brace for it. It takes, it takes courage, and I don't want to make myself sound brave, but I need you all to be absolutely fucking courageous, especially now, especially now, because if we don't, they will remove the powers that be. You've seen the way politicians are tweeting. It will become impossible to effectively create a free Palestine unless we push back now. And it's this isn't something that is just simply happening on the other side of the world and we're completely separate from. This conflict in these conditions exists because of the permission granted by Western countries, the permission and the aid granted by Western countries. We are not simply observers. We are participants who are complicit in this brutalization and it doesn't end as long as the west continues to give it the go ahead and to supply the weapons and the funding this is something that we created artificially and it's it's so unfair to the the people of palestine to be in 
surrounded by something so so much bigger than them, to be honest. I, it feels so big and so overwhelming, right? Like, I want to share another tidbit of when Santiago and I were getting ready to record and, you know, what are we going to bring up? What do we focus on? What do we have authority to speak on even? And the solution to the Palestine-Israel debacle, you know, there's so many loaded words. I don't, it's hard to, conflict, you know, occupation, whatever. I don't know the solution. That's not for me to decide. And, you know, I said to Santiago, it was kind of like, well, what do we talk about if we don't have a solution? What can we do, right? You and me, whoever's listening, you can't bring peace to Gaza, certainly not single-handedly. And I think the fight has shifted a bit. So although we'll continue to scream for a free Palestine, to demand an end to the occupation, an end to the blockades, better living conditions for Gazans, like you argue for it all, whatever the right to return, freeing political prisoners... All of that still has to continue, like I said. But now I think our most important job, especially as Canadian allies, is to make sure our Palestinian comrades can safely still do that. And so that the people in Gaza live to fight back again. Right? Like, we, at the very least, need to stop their annihilation because that is happening right now. All pressure needs to be on a complete cessation of bombing of Palestine. And the end of our governments celebrating that. But we also have to fight in the spaces. So at the NDP convention that's coming up and all of these even especially progressive spaces that are going to find it a lot easier to just avoid this topic altogether, that isn't a solution at all. And as, as, we, as Michael Brooks put in the beginning of this episode, it's not a complex issue. It's actually a very simple issue. There is an oppressor, and there's the oppressed. And we have always, always stood on the side of the oppressed. It's not that complicated. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget to feed the pigeons. As you wage your wars, think of others. Do not forget those who fight for peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. As you return home to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you liberate yourself with metaphors, think of others, those who have lost their right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself and say, if only I were a candle in the night. This is for Palestine, of course, the capital Jerusalem. Unarmed people marching to the wall when they're shooting them. Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer. Long live Palestine, long live Gaza. Palestine, of course, the capital Jerusalem. Unarmed people marching to the wall when they're shooting them. Suppression is a question, resistance is the answer. Long live Palestine, long live Gaza. All you see is war every time you turn your head and 
Lord said on the floor, Mother cries, who cries for her this time? It's truth between these walls. See the lies between the lines they hide where the bullets coming from. From the tyrant dressed in our disguise. I'm a rider till the end, even if I got a pushback for all my friends. Cause you know that I'm a fighter, let me see a lighter. And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free. But still, you know that I'm a rider till the end, even if I got a pushback for all my friends. Cause you know that I'm a fighter, let me see a lighter. And we not gonna stop the Palestine is free. Talk to not know, talk to be blind, talk to not care Tell me what's real, borderlines, military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the heart supposed to live? Talk to not know, talk to be blind, talk to not care Tell me what's real, borderlines, military despair How to exist if there's no rights to be human in fear And if you take away your home, where's the heart supposed to live? Buturea could resist without a wheelchair Ten year challenge, tell Rick if we are still here And tell that killer Netanyahu he should feel fear The old live through us and guarantee the children will care Criminal, not invincible and you know it Samadun, Samadun still sitting in there stoic May not feel us with you when you listen to our poems You inspire humanity, your resistance is heroic Regardless of talk, here's time we answer the call Through your strength of spirit you provide example for all How to live, how to love when attacked from the clouds above Loud and clear the songs you sung can't be drowned by the sound of guns Won't just watch your tragic time through a satellite dish The least that we can give you is an anthem like this They panic, try to analyze and sanitize this But we love you more than ever still, Palestine lives Continuing oppression of the Palestinians, encircling of the people of Gaza, the killing of civilians, the burning of homes, the daily oppression, the theft of land, the apartheid system in the West Bank where there are two road systems, and I've been and I'm sure you have, and you see the, the, the Israeli road, you see like a, a spanking new highway with just the settler cars going backwards and forth, then you see the old Palestinian roads, and it's clearly it's it's people living under two sets of laws. It's an apartheid system. So all this is being uncovered. And the boycotts and divestment and sanctions campaign, which I support and I'm sure many other people do, as a peaceful protest against the Israeli oppression. Support groups have got to keep proclaiming the rights of the Palestinians are the right to return, the right to um, the right to their homeland, really. And, um, and the theft of land is Israel is breaking international law, it is breaking the Geneva Convention. 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 Convention.